This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. This is the Villanova yeah. channel. It's uh, co-sponsored by both Level and Special Olympics. Uh, my name is Alex Cornell, and I would like to start by thanking our panelists for being here tonight, and I'd also like to thank you for coming out. Uh, it's really exciting, I'm really excited to be here. Hope you're as excited as I am. Uh, I'm a junior mechanical engineer from Jacksonville, Florida, and I have the honor of not only hosting this event tonight, but I also am a part of both Level and Special Olympics. Um, a, little bit, a little bit about my involvement with Level. I'm the current vice president, and I've been involved with Level since its beginning this last year. And a little bit of how I got involved um, two springs ago. I was fortunate to be in a group with Ari Meltzer-Bruin, with Greg Hanna, and uh, Carly Edwards. And we'd been paired for the whole day, and we were working, and at the end of the night, Ari came up to us, and she was telling us about this idea that she had to create Level. She wanted to create a group that anyone, no matter what your ability is, could participate in it and that they could be an integral member. Um, I, uh, um, the model that we live by is leveling the playing field. Um, level is not only a socially based group, but we're also academically focused. Uh, we assist students by going into class with them and helping them take notes or uh, helping them write assignments or papers. Um, and one of the cool fun facts that we have is we estimated that we spent over 7,000 hours working with students um, to get get their work done. Um, and it's just amazing that like our group has dedicated so much time and so much effort to helping these students. Um, another cool thing, we hosted a casino night in the spring, and we raised several thousands of dollars, and that's amazing for a first-year group. Um, we're going to be hosting it again this year, and we're so excited to up the stakes and see where things can go. Um, we hope that with our group that we can raise awareness about students on our campus with disabilities and also raise awareness about ableism, which is the discrimination towards people with disabilities. So the purpose of tonight's um, panel is to both engage both Villanovans and non-Villanovans um, with their experience either through Special Olympics or through Level. Um, their interaction with someone with a disability or even if they have a physical disability themselves. Um, we'll have the panelists do is introduce themselves, um, talk about their experience, um, and then we'll have some Q&A after that. Um, so I'm going to start with Liz and then I'll explain with what our Q&A is going to go. Chew and swallow. 
School was hard for me. I was always in special ed class, sometimes sometime far from home. The other kids made fun of me and called me retard. That really hurt my feelings. I work at Swell My College in the snack bar. My job is hard because I have to clean up after students who make a mess. <laughs> when people give me a lot of directions at one time, I cannot follow them. I can only do one thing at a time, or I get overwhelmed. Now that I have been doing the same job for 15 years, I'm pretty good at knowing what to do. At first, I had to have each job written down on a card that I have kept in my pocket. Then I knew which job to do in the right order. I have mirror movement. That means that whatever my right hand does, my left hand does the same movement. I guess I will never be very good at playing the piano. <laughs> okay, I'm Elizabeth's mother. That's my major claim to fame. <laughs> I'm also a special education teacher and I was a supervisor for the Indian unit and I'm also a reading specialist. But I really believe that Elizabeth was given, given to me as a gift to round out my education because I learned a whole lot more from her than I ever learned in any of my classes. Um, in Special Olympics, I'm a mentor for Elizabeth as a global messenger and as an athlete representative for the management team. And I'm the family coordinator for the management team in Delaware County. Elizabeth is the second of our three children. Her older sister is an attorney in um, Washington, D.C., working for the Department of Education. And her brother is the president of a real estate investment company in San Francisco. So you can imagine how difficult it was for Lizzie growing up in the middle of these two bookends. Both of her siblings wrote their college essays about their inspirational sister. Lizzie's sister and brother were both uh, gifted in as, as students and as athletes. And they didn't have to work very hard to be successful. But Lizzie had to work hard to do everything just to become as normal a kid as possible. She didn't walk until she was two and a half. She had eye surgery before she was three to um, even out and imbalance in the muscles in her eyes. She had terrible balance. She had a short attention span, so we could never sit down and read a book as a family because Lizzie would be out of there by the first, by the first, uh, by the first page. She was very late in talking, and she also couldn't use language very well. She didn't understand language very well. As, I, as she mentioned, they even had to teach her how to chew and swallow. But for most people, you, when you put the food in your mouth, it's a reflex, and it starts you chew. You know when to evacuate the food. Lizzie didn't have that feeling in her mouth, so she would put too much food in her mouth and then spit it out or choke. Or it was pretty, pretty gross. But we had to go through dysphagia therapy to teach her how to chew and how to swallow properly. This beautiful young lady that's sitting next to me now is certainly a far cry from what we expected when we got her diagnosis at age three. Which I might add, we had to beg doctors to help us find out what was wrong. As a special ed teacher and somebody who was trained in child development, I knew from, from the time she was an infant that there was a problem. But I had to beg people to help me to find the answers to what was really wrong with her. 
but she has so far exceeded any, any expectations of any of the doctors had when they told us her diagnosis. All they ever really told us was the things that she never was able to do. But she actually has achieved way more goals. When she told us she would never ride a bike, and when she learned how to ride a bike, we took her bike to the hospital and let her ride it down the hall just to show the doctors that she could do it. <laughs> and they said, how'd she do that? How'd you get her to do that? And it was all because she was just so perseverant about everything. Uh, and she was little, her brother, who was also 21 months younger than she is, one time he made the comment that he hated having handicap sisters because she couldn't even catch a ball. And the next morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, we heard this bounce, bounce, bounce in the driveway. And my husband and I looked out, and there's Lizzie in her nightgown, practicing, bouncing the ball and catching this other brother who never said that about her again. Her, her mantra when she was a little kid, and even now, is I can do this thing. So all you have to do is tell her that she can't do something, and she can do it. My name is AJ Corliss, and I am happy to be with you. I work full-time, and I play Special Olympic, bocce, basketball, bowling, tennis, softball, and ice hockey. Hi, I'm AJ's mom, Joanne Corliss. As you can tell, everyone around us at the time taking AJ to a Special Olympic sport. He's <laughs> <laughs> a very busy young man. Um, I am a um, 1982, I want to say 92, but it's not 92, it's 82, graduate of Villanova in their nursing program. I spent about 18 years working as a pediatric oncology nurse and rehab nurse. And then AJ was diagnosed about the age of two. Um, the doctors told us at that time, this was the early 90s, he was diagnosed with autism. And they told us at that time that um, to take AJ home and to find an institution for him. Um, it's really hard for me to say that because I think of him now, he's such a productive member of our community. But at that time, they really motivated us to um, start our whole um, journey for, to, to advocate for him. So by the time he was about 10 years old, I think I gave up my nursing career and I became, became the president of the AJ Foundation for Children with Autism. And in September 2000, the AJ Foundation started a private school called the Comprehensive Learning Center. It was the only school of its kind in Bucks County. Um, and it's been open now for 12 years. AJ graduated from it about two years ago. They worked with AJ and trained him, and he currently works full time. And um, it's very productive in our community now. So um, it's, we're really proud of him. Um, AJ and our family have been part of Special Olympics for about 15 years. Um, my husband was a coach for a while. AJ's two sisters were... Oops, my thunder went out. <laughs> Sorry. His two sisters were both Unified Partners. Um, unified Partner is a typical athlete that competes along with the Special Olympic athlete. Um, so it's been a really great experience for them. Currently, I've participated as a coach. I'm also AJ's unified partner in Bocce. Uh, last year, AJ and I participated in the Bocce tournament here at Fall Festival, and we had a great time. Um, we haven't heard yet if we um, made one of the slots yet for this year. We're really hoping because we love this 
come back and see you all here. So thanks for having us here tonight. Hi everyone, I'm uh, Steve McWilliams and uh, I've been the disability advisor here for the last 20 years or so. Uh, they said tell a little story. Uh, I consider this a celebration tonight because I, when I started this uh, journey about 20 years ago, it was an accident. Um, the president at the time was Father Dobbin <clears throat> and the ADA had been passed and we had a handful of disabled people and, uh, uh, and he said, uh, you look like a nice guy. You, you'd be good at just taking care of the disabled people. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. How long? He said, uh, a couple months till I decide what I'm going to do. We need to, we need to put this through for, I guess, accreditation. I don't know what his motivation was, but we needed a disability advisor. So I said yes. And uh, 20 years later, I think he's on a, a villa in Tuscany, and I'm still the disability advisor. Uh, <laughs> And when I started, uh, and Helen Lafferty uh, is here, and, and Steve Sheridan, uh, both get shout outs, who really were instrumental in, uh, in getting this thing going. But when we started, uh, this campus was not hospitable to disabled people at all. As a matter of fact, for 10 years I was a disability advisor, and I was in, my office was in the basement of Core Hall, and no student could come see me. And the response was, well, Go meet them for coffee or something and find out what's on there. Go to their rooms. So the awareness here was almost nil. There were no ramps. There were no special access doors. It was pretty much an inhospitable place for anybody living with a disability. And today, um, we have an incredibly uh, accessible campus. And we have a humongous uh, support group, staff, faculty. Uh, we have all these students here tonight. We have a level group, and I heard 7,000 hours or whatever that number was. That's amazing uh, where we've come and where we were. And it's all, um, and it's just a, a simple, small movement that has taken hold here. And uh, I've been really blessed to have uh, Greg come on uh, on his staff a couple years ago. He's made a big difference. And uh, so we've really, really made some great accomplishments. So the news is really good here. Uh, still, we still have ways to go, and I think as a society we have ways to go. But at Villanova, I think the news is really good, and I'm just really happy to see all you here, and I thank you for being here and listening. And I think, uh, I think it's a great partnership between Level and Special Olympics. And I really want to thank Ari. Is Ari here is somewhere? Stand up. Where is she? Is she here? Hmm? Oh, she's home. Okay. But she's, uh, if you don't know Ariana Melsa Braun, uh, there's a girl that just came out of the woodwork one day and said, I want to do something significant. And she creates this organization. And two years later, it's, it's a dynamic organization. And it's just because of a, an impulse of kindness. So I guess the lesson is that, you know, I basically said yes to something that I, it just came in my lap and I've been, I made a life's vocation out of it. And it was kind of a throwaway moment. And I think Ari probably would say the same thing. So the, the news is, I think the lesson, if I had one to depart, to, you know, to impart to you tonight is, is that if you get the opportunity, don't say no, because the, uh, that road that uh, is waiting for you is pretty exciting. So I'll pass on to my buddy Greg here. Next time, let me go before Steve, all right? Was I too long? He said was everything I've heard. Was I too long? Check, please. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, good evening, everybody. Um, my name is Greg Rihanna. I am from, uh, originally from Monmouth County, New Jersey, grew up in Manasquan, uh, did my undergraduate degree at Monmouth University, and was uh, training towards being a high school teacher. Um, originally thought about law school, um, but it got, got away from that and just thought about teaching and coaching, and then I got away from teaching and wanted to get into counseling, and came away from counseling and started to work directly with students with disabilities when I first met Frankie, the guy who you're going to meet after me. Um, 
Long story short, I taught Frankie all through high school. Frankie came to Villanova for a visit with Steve and Dr. Lafferty. And I met Steve, and after meeting Steve, he asked me to come here. Um, I had just gotten married, just bought my first house, and was getting ready to kind of live the next phase of my life post-Frankie. Um, but the challenge that was presented to me and the opportunity to come to this university and to work with Steve was some, is the reason why I'm here. Um, so now, four years later, I'm here as the academic advisor to all of our students with disabilities and the advisor member for Level. And it's just been an, an awesome time. Um, without Steve, uh, I probably wouldn't be here. And without Frankie, I certainly wouldn't be here. Um, again, like Steve just said, I think this is a great night for the university. Um, and a big thing, too, is one of my things, and we'll talk about it later, is, is the fact that the Office of Disability Services and that Special Olympics can sit at the same table and talk about what our mission is. You're going to see that our mission blends. And also the fact that people from Special Olympics can also see that although the festival takes place here at Villanova, that when the festival leaves here, there's still people here that still take the values that Special Olympics preaches, and we try to do it for our students here as well. So it's, it's nice and an honor for us to be here with you guys to share that with you as well. Is anybody keeping time? What is any longer than <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello. My name is Frank Kennedy, and I am in my fourth year here at Villanova University. It is a pleasure to be here with you tonight, and it is great to be around people that have an interest in awareness and advocacy around this topic of disabilities. Hello, I am uh, Professor Mark Wilson. I'm a professor in the ethics program here. Uh, I am the equivalent of the replacement NFL referee for the evening. So I am hoping that most of you are Seahawks fans and not Green Bay Packers fans. I am only here because Greg has shown faith in me and entrusted me uh, enough to channel some of the students from his program into my classes. And so I've had the privilege of teaching Frankie, among others, and I'm honored to be here. I'm, I'm awed by the number of students that are here. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to see a standing room only crowd and to see that your uh, priorities are in the right place. So welcome. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Mark Bolton. I'm currently a junior. Uh, I'm, I'm a student here studying global interdisciplinary studies, philosophy, Japanese, with a specialization epistemology and the translation. And yes, I'm going to quiz you on that at the end. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, to give you a little bit of brief history on me, I was actually a transfer student. I came in from another university, Franklin uh, Marshall College, before this past semester. So I had the distinct pleasure of seeing um, disability services at multiple institutions. A brief introduction to my disability would be I was born 16 weeks early, and I had a host of conditions. Perhaps the most recognized, or rather the most severe, was not recognized until I was around eight years old. Uh, I found out I have a condition called amyloid pectinosis of normal branching enzyme, which is a rare way of, a, a way of saying a rare condition. That's basically a degenerative muscle condition, putting me from fairly average, still able to walk, 
uh, mostly through my teenage years to a wheelchair with no idea where things are going to go in the modern day. Um, all types of other consequences, including a heart transplant at the age 10. And, uh, well, my health has been more than affected. But I, uh, I'm here tonight to speak to Bill and others excellent care of the students with disabilities in the way that the institution has um, really sheltered me just as a transfer student and proven to be one of the latest communities I've ever been in, if not me. So I guess if I had to put a message to put out to them tonight and say one thing, it would be um, focus on the community that you have here and what we can do and how we can integrate meaningful and functioning community as we already have. Awesome, thanks guys. Let's have a round of applause for you. Okay, so we're gonna have a Q&A session. Um, what we ask you to do is, um, once you're called upon, just state your name. Um, you can either ask a particular panelist, you can ask an individual panelist if you want, or you can direct a question directly to the whole panel. Um, and then if one of the panelists is asked a question, if you find that there's a comment that you want to add on, feel free to. I'm going to allow for time to um, have that, and uh, we'll go from there. So we, we can have our first question. Okay. My name is Rebecca Simone. I'm a sophomore here, originally from Long Island, New York. And AJ, I was wondering, why did you participate in the Special Olympics? Because I get to meet a lot of people. I get to hang out with my friends and travel with my friends. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Has been the most accommodating institution I've ever been at in terms of 
clubs uh, and people that kind of go out of their way to meet with you. And really, the community as a whole has fostered a loving environment that allows for people to come together. Um, so the only, the only thing I can say for Bonova is keep doing it. I mean, put everyone together and make it so they have this loving relationship and just acknowledge that we can involve people and we can get people to really thrive. And I think you'll find when you thrive socially, you can also thrive intellectually. So I guess that would be my answer. Uh, this question is for me, Stephen Williams. Uh, what could Villanova do? Uh, what could Villanova do to promote more inclusion in the academic setting? For example, what do you hope to see from faculty and staff as the population of students with disabilities increases? Uh, well, to answer that, would uh, kind of presume that I had something important to say, and I'm an expert, and I told you I'm a volunteer. I think uh, in just my, my, my limited experience, which is, isn't really that ex extensive, um, I think we, uh, we have a pretty inclusive environment. The law basically stipulates that you have to make accommodations, and we don't really get any resistance from faculty. Uh, I would say the news is pretty good. There are probably 90% of the people that I deal with that are cooperative, helpful, inclusive. And the 10% that aren't, there's nothing that we're going to do to change that. That's always part of the culture. I, I, I mean, ideal, idealistically, you like to have 100%, but I'm pretty happy with 90. And I think that number's gone up. So I think the faculty in general and the staff are, are very helpful. Uh, I, I find people here to be extremely kind and generous. And uh, I think the only thing that I would probably hope, and this goes for all of us, uh, is that uh, it tends sometimes to uh, look at somebody who's different than us and kind of avoid them. And I think uh, that's a palpable feeling that people sense, that if you don't, uh, if you don't embrace them because they're different, I think. And, and idealistically, or ideally, I, I would hope that, uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? Uh, that we wouldn't assume like, I'm the disability guy. So for the longest time, that's why I'm so gratified to see all you here tonight. And, and so happy to have Greg working with me. Steve Sheridan, who's back here, can, can testify. For a long time, I was like the, quote, disabled guy. So if there was somebody with a disability, go see him. He's the disabled guy. If I didn't want to deal with him, call Steve. Like, I had some kind of magic potion that I was going to rub on the guy, you know, and make it all go away. Um, a lot of times these situations, as you can hear from the panel, these are, these are complex human problems and they require uh, a community response and that's why it's so nice to see everybody here uh, in, in kind of working together to uh, ensure fairness and justice and just in our own community here. So, I'm, uh, so I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh, I'm, I just can't tell you how happy I am. I don't know if you, did you all have to be here for some reason? Did you have to write a paper or something? Is this just on volunteers? It's just really gratifying to see you all here. And I, I can't say that, uh, how much it means, uh, because I, I just feel like I've come full circle. I went from, I went from almost like total apathy on this campus to this. It's like, uh, you know, Hosanna to all of you. Um, I have a question for Frank. Uh, Frank, how has level impacted your social life in I am honored to be here with all of you as you hear about a program that has had a major impact 
here at Villanova University. When I arrived four years ago, like any other college freshman, I was nervous about how the academic and social aspect of my life were going to play out. I knew that I could always count on the amazing services that Greg Hanna and Stephen McWilliams and the Office of Disability Services could provide me with, but I wanted to become a member of the student community and grow socially. Level has not only helped me academically, but has given me more social contacts and most importantly, lifelong friendships. Greg has built an amazing foundation for social awareness around this campus and students like members of Level have built something special. Students in Level get to learn about our students here living with a disability, but they also get a group that sets out to have fun, build relationships, and hopefully with the ability to raise funds. Level will continue to be a group that will give other students the unforgettable moments that I happened here at Villanova University. And just to kind of add quick, if you look at what's kind of been said, so you look at what Mark said as a, as a transfer student coming in, and, and I remember meeting with, with Mark's family, and a, a major concern was the social aspect. Um, because Mark, as you hear when he gives you that resume of everything that he says, he's very accomplished. So coming in, mom and dad knew that he'd be able to handle the, the course load, but the big thing was the social piece. And listening to what Steve was just saying about what he was hoping for from faculty and staff over time, and you know, trying to create this more inclusive environment, you know, and then you listen to Frankie talk about what um, what Level has done for him, you know, it, it just kind of speaks to where we're going, but there's still more to go. And I, I think what, for the students, the, the big part in that whole piece is that no matter what Steve and I do, Steve and I come to work every day regardless. We have a job to do, we have a job description, there's things that we need to do. Um, but we also know that in order for some of these things to be successful, for, for Mark to sit here and talk about how great the Villanova community is, it's because of the Villanova community, not just Steve and myself. When you hear Frankie talk about the amazing experiences that he took from Villanova, it wasn't just because of Steve and myself. It's, there's an office that exists for these guys to do the things that they need to do to get through college, but there's also these guys as people, and to hear them say that they're a part of this community. Um, I think that blends to the faculty piece as well, if you look at what Steve says. Now when um, Mark or Frankie are around their classmates and then they're raising issues or concerns to professors, when there's two or three students behind them showing support, that professor may be more than likely to hear as well too because the students are the ones that we really need to work with first. Um, and also if you look around, there's other faculty members that are here as well that definitely speak to the message of what we're trying to deliver. So as you listen to everyone answer their questions, just try to think about the, the ties that you can make, and out of that one, you really can get some really good stuff. So, um, really good stuff that you guys are offering. Thanks.
sophomore year at Villanova. Uh, last year, when I was picking my service site for the sophomore learning community, which I recommend to anyone, um, I remember that I went to the level table and I talked to a girl, I don't know her name, but I know she's one of the founders of level. And she, she said something that, I'm, that I can still remember. She said the goal of level was to make people look at someone in a wheelchair and that it would be as looking at people with so many glasses that you wouldn't even look at the wheelchair. Um, and I was wondering, uh, Greg or Steve or whoever wants to answer this, like concrete things that you think students can do to promote this idea both here in at Villanova and outside so that people stop looking at disabilities at, and just like, um, look them over without paying attention. For sure. I mean, I think right out of the gate the big thing is going to be for Level to continue to grow and, and have new members to hear about what we're doing. Um, I just had this conversation with a student today. When we first, when Level first got started, the initial thing was to make sure that there was a foundation built in the sense where we just wanted to have a group on campus that maybe started to look at some of the issues that were taking place in the office, but also um, provide an instant social aspect where there was gonna be a little bit more access to students um, and also for the ability for some of the students to gain an appreciation for what some of our students do from a work aspect. The way Mark does work is a lot different than the way Frank does work, a lot different than the way Steve did work when he was here in school, and a lot different than the way some of our other students do. Um, but the thing there is, is now I think that the foundation for Level has been built. We need to take on new members, but we also need to start to um, have a little bit more dialogue about what those issues are. Um, I think now that, that level sets up where we're able to learn about the group a little bit, we need to learn a little bit more about the members of the group and also try to find some of those social identities because the group is not just built because of someone like Frankie. Um, the group is built for everyone here because in some way, shape, or form, we look to try to identify with something. And the fact that this group is sets out to, yes, allow people that have a physical disability know that they can come to an environment where if we needed to plan events on campus or anything else, we're taking the accessibility options into effect first and foremost, but also that other people can learn what it's like to be around anybody with any kind of disability, even an able-bodied person can probably find some sort of thing that is troubling them that people can learn about. So I think we need to start, the next step for me is to really engage in some more social identity to really allow people to know not just what it's like to work with Frankie, but what Frankie has been doing his whole life and how he has coped with a lot of different things and how Mark and even when you look at AJ and the rest of the panel, they've all had to overcome and cope with certain things and the best way to do that is by actually engaging in conversation as a group and start to get some group dynamic because with that will, be coming, will come how you work with them from an educational standpoint or how you work with them in your business. All of your guys' majors in some way, shape or form, you most likely will come across um, someone with uh, a disability. How many people even on a raise of hands have someone, a family, a friend, or anyone that they know that is living with some sort of disability? See, there's a lot of hands. So as a group, I think one way that we change that is to start engaging in a little bit more dialogue and um, inviting students that might not even be in level to really start talking about some of the things and really be comfortable to raise questions that um, people can answer. Yeah, I guess that too. Like, I haven't told Randy this, but the first time that I saw him, I didn't know where he was going. Like it didn't look. It looked like he was all over the place and no direction. But then, like you're, you're probably right about that. You're <laughs> but like, <laughs> next is the time to get to know him. And we, I found that he shares the same love I have for baseball. And like that is just our deal. Like we love talking about baseball and finding that one thing that 
is outside of whether Frankie can walk and play that game. We can share that passion and that love for baseball and really just like, if you're willing to take the time to get to know these students, like they're so happy to get to know you. Like you're gonna love them for who you are and they're gonna love you for who you are. So I um, just like reiterate kind of what Greg is saying to like, take your time. Like, you guys can take a little bit of time to understand what Frankie's saying because it's gonna take him two minutes to write it out. But you're gonna learn that like it's not he's not pointing at a board. You're having a conversation with him. And you just get to that point where conversation just keeps going and going. So um, don't be nervous. It's yeah maybe nerve wracking the first time, not knowing what to do. But take the time. And you're definitely gonna enjoy your time with me. I just want to say one thing, uh, just real quick. Uh, I think that, that uh, something I've experienced is that I think people think uh, when they see you working with people with a disability that you're some kind of you have some kind of special talent or some kind of special gene that you have. I, I don't have any incredible patience. I have no specialized knowledge. I have I know nothing about this. I, everything I learned was just by hanging around with the people that have gone through here. And I've learned just by association. And I, to, to respond to your question, uh, can, will there ever be a time when I don't see the chair? No, I always see the chair. I always see what the struggles that they have to go through just to get through what I take for granted. And I think that humility that I look on my own self and what I've been blessed with, that's, what's my, that's my fuel to do what I do, is that I've just been, I just got a great deck of cards. And, and I have an obligation uh, if I, go to this place or I live in this community to, to go and understand, you know, God wants me to do something. He's given me an ability. He didn't give me a special ability. He gave me eyes. He gave me a heart. And I think that's, and we all have that. We all have eyes. We all have a heart. So uh, I think the only thing I would, I don't think we'll ever get over the fact that disabled people are different and have special needs. That's why they call them students with special needs. It's our response to that. I think that makes us a special community, as Mark has pointed out. Um, I might add one thing to that. I think it's precisely because we see the wheelchair, because we see the disability that allows this community to exist, as you just said. I think that because we see the wheelchair, we have unique experiences that we bring to the table. We have unique perspectives that might not exist otherwise. And in creating and forging relationships on the basis of that, it allows for a greater exchange of knowledge than could ever possible. So I think working, beyond, working at the wheelchair and pretending like it doesn't exist is almost missing a point. It's precisely because we have these hardships and these experiences that allow for us to get along well with each other and really to foster community. So I think that acknowledging it is something we have to do. And not, in, not just saying, oh, it's a hardship saying what that hardship has brought amongst us in terms of personal growth and how we can influence each other in that regard. Um, I would just like to add one more thing, and, and that is uh, having a daughter who is not in a wheelchair and who is not blind and is not wearing a hearing aid. I think it's equally important that you're not judgmental of people who don't react in the ways that you might expect them to react. A lot of people look at Elizabeth and assume that she's absolutely great 
And then I start having a conversation with her, and I realize there's something different about this person. She, why is she talking about strawberry shortcake or something when she's an adult? That, that's not a really good example, because she doesn't do that. That's why I was looking at her. But, but I think sometimes having the wheelchair, having, having being a blind person with a cane or wearing a hearing aid, you sort of instantly have an empathy for people who look different. Uh, Down syndrome child looks different, so you know from the get-go that there is an issue. But I think it's important that you also are open to the fact that people with dyslexia who can't write and who are having struggling taking their notes and people who don't answer you in a way that you would expect, that you have to be a little bit more tolerant of those people and be a little bit more understanding of the fact that maybe they have an issue and maybe I really need to, to think about that. at all. Also, um, people with autism are very literal, so if you um, use catchy phrases or idioms like um, it's raining cats and dogs, they're really going to think it's raining cats and dogs, so try to refrain from using those kind of phrases. Um, if you encounter a person with autism that's nonverbal, or really any person with a disability that's nonverbal, don't be hesitant to talk and communicate with them because um, a lot of people with disabilities that have no expressive language, meaning that they are nonverbal, they do have some recited language, meaning that they can understand some of the things that you're saying. So um, continue to talk to them. I like to tell people the rule of thumb is to treat them as you would one of your friends, um, but just keep the communication simple and, and try to um, establish you know, um, eye contact with them. But besides that, I really wanted to comment on what everyone was talking about before. Um, thanks for the question, though. It just really warms my heart to hear the conversations that we're having, because when I look out at um, a lot of these students, and you all raised your hand, many of you, that um, have encountered people with disabilities, I look at your generation as being the, um, the generation that's going to grow up, that has grown up, and will work in, um, in you know, when you get out of college, you'll work with people with disabilities because there are many, many companies now that hire people with disabilities. So just in, since AJ has graduated two years ago, um, I, I had told you before, he works in three different jobs. And the people that he has encountered in all three jobs, they're all young people like you. And it's just incredible the response that they have had towards AJ and how much they have accepted him. Um, he's very, very productive at these jobs. He does data processing and data entering for a um, research marketing firm and an accounting firm. He also works in a uh, food store fronting shelves. He moves the products up to the front of the shelves. So he's very productive in what he does. So they don't feel sorry for him and just get along with him. He, they really rely on him to do his job. 
but it really warms my heart to know how um, open you are to come here. You guys are really the ambassadors for our kids um, as they get older. Um, and when some of your friends encounter and watch you um, interact with people with disabilities, you're really a role model for them. Um, I remember my one daughter, my older daughter, she's a year younger than AJ, when she was entering into high school, she was really worried about meeting new friends and what they would think of AJ. And she asked me, you know, I don't know what to do. Do I tell people he has autism? Do I not? Sometimes some of the things he does may embarrass me. What do I do? And I just said, just treat him like you would any other person. And, you know, maybe they'll learn from you. And, uh, and, and she did. She took that advice and she did. And she made a lot of friends in high school. And he made a lot of those friends because they all came to our house and they loved him. And they really learned by example from her. And that's what your friends are going to learn from you, the way you treat people with disabilities. They're going to learn that from you, and they're going to think, hey, that's pretty cool. I could do that, too. And uh, you'll find that they're very meaningful people, people with disabilities. You'll learn a lot from them, and you'll really get a lot out of being with them. So thanks again for being here tonight. Uh, hi, my name's Will, and um, I have a question for Dr. Wilson. Um, how about the experience that you have teaching students with disabilities? I'm just wondering, how is that affected? Uh, how do you view the teaching practice and the education system as a whole? Thank you for the question. Um, I mean, first, if what is true for, for Steve is certainly true for me. I have no special training. I have no special talents. I have no special wisdom. Um, as Frankie can attest to. <laughs> you want to have a beer later? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I would say that the challenges that we confront are, are much of what's been said already, right? It's primarily, in, in my experience, my own fear, my own presumptions, my own ignorance. I, I would be disingenuous if I said that when I walked in that first day and I saw Frankie, I didn't say, whoa, right? how's this going to work? But the truth is, I asked that question once to myself, and then through the efforts of Greg, through the efforts of Frankie, and through the tremendous labors and maturity on their part, it, it was seamless. It was truly seamless, and it has been seamless, whether it's been Frankie or other students from the Office of Disability. I think as teachers, you know, we walk into a classroom and we are blind to the limitations that students have, by and large. We're blind to the challenges the students face. And one of the benefits of the Office of Disability is it at least flags some of the limitations and you have the maturity on the part of individuals like Frankie who can tell you, here are some of my limitations, something that many of the students without disabilities don't do and should do. And so I think in that sense, part of the reason the classes I've had with Frank and Nick and others have been some of the best classes that I've had is that they bring a transparency and an honesty about the challenges they face. And I think that can inspire others to confront their invisible challenges. I mean, yes, the chair doesn't disappear, right? But most of us live with invisible challenges and invisible difficulties and invisible disabilities. And part of the real gift that I think Frankie and others offer is an invitation, right, to be honest with ourselves and to communicate and enter into community with, with our shared struggles. Hi, um, hey again. Um, this is kind of a 
tough question, but I, I always believe that the tough questions should be asked. I know that um, a lot of people who, who vouch, speaking on abortion, that mothers should be allowed to have an abortion if they know their child is going to come with a disability or Down syndrome. And now that we have two mothers here, um, children who have disabilities, what would you say to people who actually support this measure? Like, what would you say to them? I know it's a tough question. I'm sorry, but I think it should be asked. That's a really tough question. I agree. That's a very tough question. But I don't know anyone. I honestly don't know any mother of, of a child with a disability who doesn't feel as though their child with a disability didn't enrich their lives and the lives of their family. I think it makes you take a completely different look at, at the world. If I had grown up with my two gifted children and my, you know, living in La La Land with, you know, being able to do what they needed to do very easily, even as a special ed teacher, I think um, my perspective would be very different. But Elizabeth is, as I said, her brother and sister both wrote their college essays about how inspirational she was to them because she really changed their perspectives. And I think the parents uh, who accept, it's, it's a challenge. There isn't any question that it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge every step of the way. It's a challenge having a 36-year-old uh, just like it was when she was two. It doesn't ever go away. And there isn't an animal that tells you what you have to do. But I think it's an absolute blessing that um, she's enriched our lives the way that she has. I think you said it really well. I think that's a really tough um, question to ask, especially two moms. Um, I do know people that have had abortions when they have found out that their um, baby was disabled. Um, and one happened to be a very close friend of mine. It was a very difficult time for me because I had already lived through the, the shock and, and you know the, the acceptance of AJ having autism and that was a really difficult time and it was hard for me to get over knowing that decision that she made. Um, honestly I felt like it was a very selfish decision um, but you know you can't really judge people until you walk in their shoes so, so the saying goes. Um, I do remember when I was 41, almost 41, I became pregnant and um, my husband and I were very, very nervous about having another child with a disability. Um, I was high risk because I was older. Um, and we went, we started to go through all the testing. Um, we had this appointment down at the University of Pennsylvania. And I think God just, um, he intervened that day for us because we woke up and there was a massive snowstorm. So. My daughter Kirsten and AJ were off from school then. They were two hours delayed. So we called down at University of Pennsylvania and told them we wouldn't be able to be there for a couple hours. And then they called us back and they were like, yeah, you're gonna have to go through all this blood work. You're gonna have to come back. There was just all this whole mix up. And we finally just called them back and said, you know what, like, we're not gonna come. We both just looked at each other and said, even if we found out we had another baby with a disability, what would we do? We wouldn't end and the pregnancy. We already lived with one child and he's been such a blessing to us. So um, we went through, we, you know, we had a baby girl and she's a monster, but we love her. <laughs> she, 
she's typical. She's 12 now, but you know, I, that's just a bit, that's a hard question. But, yeah. Good answer. Was it a good answer? Good answer. <laughs> Reed Phillips, I have a question for Olivia Suzanne. Um, I was just wondering how being involved with Special Olympics has excuse me, impacted both of your lives. Special Olympics has done a lot for me. I've had many, many opportunities. As an athlete, I have over 150 medals in seven different sports. I have run in the Georgia Dome and run in the Marine Corps Mini Marathon in Washington, D.C., where I came in first place twice. I have played soccer at Fall Festival for 20 years and at the World Games in, New in North Carolina. I've gone to Penn State for swimming many times in our last swimathon. I raised over $1,000 for our local program by swimming 220 laps without stop. As a global messenger, I have spoken to thousands of people about Special Olympics. I have even gone to the Washington, I've even gone to Washington D.C. and met the congressmen to tell them how important Special Olympics is to our athletes. As an athlete leader, I was on the steering committee for the first ever athlete congress in Pennsylvania. Special Olympics has given me places to go and people to meet. I have friends all over the state. Special Olympics has given me an exciting life. Uh, I would add to that the difference between Special Olympics and the doctors who told us everything that Elizabeth was never going to be able to do is that Special Olympics is about abilities and it's about possibilities. It's not about disabilities. And through Special Olympics, Elizabeth has, has created a network of friends. Um, as she said, she has an exciting life. I'm just trying to keep up with her. <laughs> but it's also helped her to develop a great sense of responsibility, a sense of teamwork. It's improved her social skills. It's, it's really been her teacher from, from the time that she was a little girl. It's um, definitely improved her self-esteem. She has a very positive uh, self-esteem. And without Special Olympics, Elizabeth would be a completely different person. I would be a couch potato. <laughs> <laughs> but just imagine for yourself. Try, if, you, if you have to close your eyes to visualize, you can do that. I always have trouble with that. But I just want you to imagine for a minute, okay? What would your life be like? What would your life be like if you didn't have any sports? So you had no practices, you had no games, you had no teammates. You have no clubs, you have no musical groups. So you have no social interaction and you have no sense of purpose. You have no interaction with your peers and you have no way to develop your talents. Now think about not having school. You have no classes, no parties, no fun. You, you don't have a job. You have no money. You have no interaction with other people. And you have no feeling of independence. Now add to that the fact that you don't drive, you still live with your parents, 
lack the organizational skills and the language and social skills to call your friends on the phone and say, hey, you want to hang out? Or should we have a party or plan a road trip? You have none of those abilities. Now top that off with people calling you a retard and other names like that. This is the life that our Special Olympic athletes would have if they didn't have Special Olympics. So now I want you to think about this. Being in that same place, what do you think it feels like for a Special Olympic athlete to get on a bus with his friends, to stay in a hotel without his parents? And by the way, I may add, it's often the first time that athletes have ever been away from their parents and the first time that the parents have ever had a weekend without their children. So there are some advantages to the parents as well. But they put on a uniform and they play a sport that they've been practicing for weeks. And they're cheered on by exciting and smiling college students. And they eat in the dining hall. And they have people high-fiving them, high-fiving them that they don't even know and encouraging them to do their best. And imagine the wonder of spending time on a beautiful college campus with music and dancing and activities and in a community full of students and faculty members and staff members who welcome them and who celebrate their achievements. This is what Villanova Special Olympics provides for our athletes. It's fun and any athlete will start off by saying, we have fun, we have friends, but it also is independence and purpose and pride. And I think above all, it's acceptance. And that's exactly what I've heard from, you know, Frankie, from uh, Mark, that it's the acceptance of the Villanova community that is so important to our athletes. So my hat is off to every one of you, not only for your being here, which I think is just so important,
Sometimes at work I get called retard. And it just hurts every time we go home. Because I get called that word and I tell my mom that I get called that word and she, she said to me that just don't worry about it and have you know tell them not to say it and everybody says it all the time and it really hurts. So can you please and I just want you guys to understand that being called retard is not a, a proper word to use in wherever you are, even on buses or at schools or at home, because it offends us and it just really hurts that we get called that all the time. And I've gotten called that so many times. Hi, I'm from Rachel on Sophomore. Um, this question is for Frankie or Mark. Um, what is one experience in the Villanova community that's been kind of most helpful um, to kind of demonstrate the strength of the community, I guess, but that you'd like to see more of? One activity. One activity is quite hard to pick out. There's quite a few. It's something for me as simple as people walking by and saying hello. I mean, you don't think about what goes on in social interaction. You don't think what happens, what allows for acknowledgement of humanity. Um, part of the issue that I personally struggle with in the majority of my life is uh, self-confidence and recognition. I felt like I was always um, pushed aside and frankly my self-esteem was terrible. Being a Villanova, the one thing that I've noticed is a distinct, well, jovial nature. And the fact that even just when I'm wheeling the class, and those who have seen me will attest that I go quite fast, uh, even when I'm blazing past someone, I still get a hello every now and then. And people go out of their way to just be kind to you. Um, and I'm not saying we have to host special events. I'm not saying we have to um, essentially make this into a crusade, as it were. But to simply just be kind in passing, to say hello, to engage each other in a way that you would any, any other person. Um, again, it's just the core human relationship that's important. And go out of your way, even if it's just saying hi. You never know what will happen. <laughs> and then what, what Frankie was saying is similar to what Mark was saying. And the best way I can kind of put it together is, is the time when you guys, when you leave class or if you're going to any of the, like the dining halls or anything that you guys are doing in your busy schedule, a lot of times when you're passing students, you just say, you know, hey Joe, hey Mark, you know, hey Sue, what's up? And a lot of times people think that gets lost when they see, if they see Frankie, they're like, oh, I, I can't stop because he's going to start pounding on that thing and I might not get to class. Or, but, and usually he's going to tell you something that you really don't want to hear, and, you know, he might make fun of you, or if you're a woman, you might ask me to lunch, or if you're a guy, you might ask me to lunch too, so don't be nervous. Um, but what he's, what he's saying is it's just the, the ability to catch up, and that, and that means a lot. And that's one thing that we talked about too, even in high school, is you think about how fast-paced we are. It's even faster here at Villanova. Um, and when people just take the time just to, to catch up with Frankie like anyone else, it means more to him than 
being in the course sometimes um, because that's really what he's, that's a small piece of what he's looking for on a daily basis. All right, thanks guys. I think we're going to wrap up with that. Um, let's give our parents a round of applause. This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu.